Amen. Please pray with me. May the words of my mouth, Lord, let what I say be what you would have me say. Let it not be my wisdom, let it be your spirit. May the words of my mouth and the thoughts of all the assembled, Lord, huge opportunity for the devil to enter in and distract or, or to find a, a critical thought. Lord, may the words of my mouth, but also the thoughts of all the assembled hearts be acceptable. Be what you would have, Lord, my words, their thoughts, during this time of sharing your word. Grant it for Christ's sake. Amen. You may be seated. Now, in a moment, we're going to take a look at Philippians chapter 3, which has been kind of a theme for these last three years, which I think is also a tremendous theme for the Christian life. And as you think about uh, what Paul is saying in Philippians, Paul is in prison. Uh, he's not sure whether he'll live or whether he'll die. In fact, he said, I, I don't know. I'm hard-pressed in both directions. He said, because to live would mean I could do more work. I could get a lot done, and that would be useful for you and, and useful for me. Uh, work is not just for those who receive it. It's also a blessing to those who do it. He said, but to depart and be with the Lord, that would be far better. So what a great place to be. And, and that's where I hope that you would be today, too. You know, to live means useful service, and that's good for what I can do. It's good for me. Uh, but if I die today, that's awesome, too. That's far better to be with Christ. Steve Covey, a few years ago, wrote a book that has transformed the way business people think. It's called The Seven highly effective habits of uh, high, uh, seven habits of highly effective people a and in that he said begin with the end in mind but Paul would say no end with the beginning in mind uh, he would say Covey forgot one of the most important principles of life especially for Christian life he would say it this way he would say forget what lies behind I press on, I press in to what lies ahead. Now, this principle of Paul's is only important uh, for those of you who have had a stellar past or for those of you who have had a frustrating past or for those of you who have had an indistinguished past. You know, other than that, you can, you can shut me out right now. But I think you probably fall into one of those categories because if you've had a stellar past, you may be tempted to live in the past and, and just recall, man, remember the day. Remember, you know, what I was able to do. Remember how God blessed me or remember how God blessed this church in the past. And, and you just want to live there. You just want to hold on to that. Or if you've been frustrated in the past and had uh, suffered a huge setback, you would say, well, I was going pretty well until then. And you begin to use that as an excuse for why you do very little today. Because that tripped you up and you've never caught your pace again. Or if you've been indistinguished in your past, you'd say, why would I expect anything to be different? Nothing's ever been different for me. So there's a temptation for you to live in your past, no matter what your condition. And that's why I think this principle of Paul's is so important. Paul says, forgetting what lies behind, I press on toward what lies ahead. You know, the past is important for Paul but he refuses to live in the past. Everyone has a past. America has a past. You know, it's, it's not all uh, good, is it? 
You know, in our past is slavery, civil war, the Great Depression, Watergate, 9-11, civil injustice, assassinations. You know, if we were to live in our past, you know, we could use that as an excuse for not doing anything in our present, but we refuse to live in our past. I, I came across an article recently which was written by a Canadian of all people, and, and he wrote an article about why I love America. He said, you know, despite the fact that I'm Canadian-born and, and I'll probably be buried in Canada and, and, and I'm proud enough of that, yet America, there's nowhere like America. And in his article, he said some inappropriate things that I can't comment on the beauty of our women. Uh, he also said some things about travel. He said, you know, when I travel, he said, everywhere I go, I see Canadians, I see Europeans, I see uh, people from Asia. He goes, they travel there because they have nothing really exceptional to see in their own country. I don't see many Americans there because where can you not go in America and find something equivalently as beautiful or as impressive or as historic? And so he, he mentions that. But he also mentions, you know, when you stop and think about it just objectively, even though I'm Canadian, America is really the world's only great superpower. And he said, even though you think you're on hard economic times, you Americans, he said, do you realize that you still are responsible for 25% of the GDP, the gross domestic products of all things produced and all services received. 25% in America, even though you represent only 5% of the world's population. And he said, where else can you go where people have so many cars? It's incredible, and you take it all for granted. I remember when I was traveling in Russia on a mission trip a few years ago, uh, we actually hired a guide to show us around uh, St. Petersburg and some of the incredible museums there. And uh, she was actually a professional engineer, and her husband was also a professional person, but we had to rent a taxi because they didn't personally own a car. And, and by the way, the taxi cab driver would take the steering wheel off of his car and lock it in the trunk so that no one would steal his car while he was showing us around. And uh, she said, I understand that most Americans have a car. Do you have a car? I didn't want to tell her. I, I had a car, my wife had a car, and we had an extra car for my kids. You know, I just, she would have thought, what is wrong with you? You Americans are so rich. But that's just true about us, and we take it for granted. We're the number one importer of this world's goods. Fifteen of the top 20 universities are located in America. And then he points out, and Chipotle was created and developed in America. You know, what reason have we of any other evidence? And then in concluding, he said this. He said, one of my favorite things about this country is that virtually every person here truly believes they live in the greatest country that ever existed in the history of mankind. You could ask the most ardent Tea Party member or the most outspoken Occupy Wall Street person. You don't get further apart than that. And they will talk for hours about what is wrong with America, but none of them would choose to live anywhere else. You know, America has a past. We just refuse to live there. We're embracing uh, the future, even with all of our struggles, and, and it's still a great place to live. St. John has a past. This congregation has a past. This congregation, I don't know if you know it or not, was established in 1851, 162 years ago in a one-room log cabin church that was built by the members on Ranky Road. We still own that property over there, although it's um, just a grassy spot on the bend in Ranky Road as you head south. 
And the reason it's undeveloped is because it's a gravesite. You know, we have some 80 former members who are buried on that land, so it can never be developed. 20 years after they were established in 1871, they were donated uh, one acre of land on this site. And to their credit, after three years, they thought, well, this looks promising. It was a dirt road, but it looks promising. So they bought 24 more acres. Wow, what incredible insight. You know, today most churches are, are built on five or six acres. You know, back in 1871, 150 years ago, they said, we're going to need more than that because God is going to bless this place. And I think about that, you know. Uh, they have a distinguished past, but they refuse to live in the past. They continue to embrace the future. Those people thought about the future when they bought 25 acres. What in the world would they need 25 acres for? And this year has been uh, kind of a poignant year for me. I've been here 25 years. And uh, this year I'm beginning to conduct funerals for people who were leading this church when I came. January 4th of this year, I conducted the memorial service for for Roy Dinky, a good friend and, and uh, a guy who was the chairman of the building committee that established this facility. Roy didn't need this facility. He was quite happy with the building that we had in 1956, even though it was jammed full and we couldn't get any more people in. We were one-fourth the size that we are today. You know, he appreciated his past. He loved his past, but he refused to live in the past. Like Paul, he said, I'm going to press in. I'm going to press forward to what lies ahead because it's not about me. It's about the mission. The church is not the mission. The existing members are not the mission. Amen? The mission is lost people, and they matter to Christ. They ought to matter to us. And so this past year, I've conducted funerals for those people, and every one of them is poignant. People with the name Arf, Dinky, Lehman, Motes, Orth. Hoffman, Pfeiffer, Beck, Ranke, Helwig. Last Saturday, held the service for, for Don Essen. Uh, Don Essen was the, the leading gift in, in this campaign, a six-figure gift to establish this facility, and he and Pat were very generous with their world's resources for this ministry. You know, they had a distinguished past, but they made sacrifice for your sake. You don't even know those names and the people after us will, will never know those names because no one will mention them anymore. And it doesn't matter because the Lord knew their name. And when they walked into heaven, he said, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in a few things. But their blessing isn't only when they come into heaven's presence, when they come into the Lord's presence. Their blessing is also in the sacrifice as they make it and as they walk in life. Because while you make sacrifice, you are also enriched by the life that you are called to live. It's not just for the sake of others. It's also a way in which your life becomes more full and more blessed. Paul had a past. I don't have any pictures of Paul's past. I don't know why they couldn't find any, but they couldn't. Let me just read from you uh, what Paul said in Philippians chapter 3, beginning at verse 4, about his past. He says, if you have reason to boast in what you've accomplished, I can one-up you. I was circumcised on the eighth day, exactly the way a Jewish child should be brought into the world. Of the people of Israel, you know, the greatest people on earth. Of the people of the tribe of Benjamin. I wasn't even one of those ten unfaithful tribes to the north. I was of Judah and Benjamin, the faithful tribes. I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. In regard to the law, I was a Pharisee. I made, I made the Old Testament law my work. 
I was the guy who taught other people what God wanted in life. As to zeal, I was a persecutor of you Christians who were destroying what I thought was the true church on earth. And as for legalism, I was found righteous. I was faultless. That's what Paul said about himself. I kept all the traditions. I kept all the customs. No one could point to any failure on my part. But then he says, but whatever was to my prophet in the past, whatever I could brag about in the past, I won't even mention now for the sake of knowing Jesus Christ. Paul had a past. He just refused to live there after he met Jesus. Everything for Paul was before Jesus and after Jesus. On the road to Damascus, Jesus showed up, knocked him off his horse, made him blind, and said, Paul, why do you persecute me? And Paul's life was forever changed. He became a missionary to the Gentiles. And uh, let me describe Paul's attitude, you know, as a Christian leader. And as I read these words, I think this is pretty much our attitude at St. John, confusing to many, uh, even some of our membership. But clearly the same spirit that occupied Paul when he said, I'm going to I'm going to forget the past, I'm going to press in, I'm going to press on towards the future. Paul said, although I am free and belong to no man, I'm going to make myself a slave to everyone. Don't need to, but I'm going to. To win as many as possible. To the Jews, I'll look like a Jew. Hey, if that's what it takes to have a conversation with Jews about Jesus, I'll look like a Jew. Even though I'm not under the law like they feel they are under the law do this and don't do that. I'm free because of grace and forgiveness in Christ Jesus. I will act as though I am so I can have a conversation and might save some. To those who are not under the law, I will act as though I am not under the law. To the Gentiles, I'll act like a Gentile because I want to have a conversation with them about the life-giving difference Jesus Christ can make for them. To the weak, I will become like the weak so that I could win the weak. I will become all things to all people. So that by all means, I might save some. You know, why do we do what we do? You know, why do we not just honor the past in this place? We are going to be all things to all people so that by all means we might save some. He said, I do this because that's what the gospel commands. And so that I might share in its blessing. So Paul understood it isn't just for others that I do this. It's also the way in which God blesses me when I live this way. Finally, Paul was even a martyr for the faith. And he said, that's far better. You know, he had no regret when he ended with the beginning in mind. He said, it was the best thing I ever did to have Christ come into my life. Now, let me just walk through verses 8 through 14 with you uh, from the screen. As Paul thought about his past, he said, what is more, I consider everything I've accomplished a loss because of the surpassing knowledge of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I gladly have lost all things. I even consider them, by comparison, garbage, rubbish, not worthy to mention, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a perfection that comes from, you know, my perfect living of the Old Testament law, but perfection that is found in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God, which is a gift to me, on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ every day, know him more. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection, even if it requires participating in his suffering, because in this way, Jesus honored his father and his father honored him, becoming more like him even if by death, so that somehow I will experience the resurrection from the dead. 
Not that I've obtained everything. Every day there's a new opportunity, a new uh, chance to be more Christ-like in life. Or that I've already obtained my goal. No, it won't be obtained until I press on and take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I'm not there yet. But I'm going to hold on to it. And this is what I'm going to do. This is Paul's principle, Steve Covey. (laughs) Forget what is behind. Press in and press on toward what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the price for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Paul had a past. He wasn't ashamed of his past, but he wouldn't live in his past. His past only prepared him for the present. And Paul's priorities were just a matter of comparison. As I said, he was proud of how God had used his past to prepare him for the present. Paul could actually, and the the Bible tells us that upon his conversion, that he could literally prove from the Old Testament that Jesus was the Christ. His past as a Pharisee served a good purpose as he showed in the Bible all the prophecies and all the fulfillment that Jesus was who the Bible claims him to be. Paul was dedicated now to a life lived by grace, not a law, not a life that was lived by do-goodism. And, and I got to say, you know, I, I wish I could say this better. I wish I could say this so that you could understand it. Because I think for most people, and, and that's why churches are not packed out, they believe that the Christian faith is an imposition on, on life. That, that, that somehow we are here to uh, learn how to be better and to do better and be obedient. The Christian faith is about, you know, being a good Christian, about being an obedient Christian. Uh, Paul said it's not that at all. He said, I'm going to give up that kind of attitude of of trying to be obedient, trying to do everything right, because I now understand that God's rules and God's laws and God's expectations are not so that I could prove myself to him or somehow acquire his favor. I already have his favor. Jesus Christ has already died for me. You can't be more righteous, more perfect than the gift of of forgiveness that comes by faith in Christ Jesus. No, I do these things because I have found in these things the key to to a blessed life. We like to say it this way. It's not what God wants from you when we ask you to tithe, when we ask you to get engaged in life journey, when we ask you to embrace mission projects. It's not because what God wants from you. It's what God wants for you. Paul was blessed in doing these things, not just a blessing to others. And yet Paul was not done. You know, even though he was an apostle, he said, I'm not home yet. Every day was a new adventure. Every day was a new opportunity. Not that I have already attained it. Why did he do it? He said, to lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus laid hold of me. To experience the richness of life that could only be known through faithfulness. You know, Paul had a past. He just refused to live in the past. The past prepared him for the present and for the future that God had called him to. We all have a past. (laughs) You have pictures like this? You know, I'm old enough that some of mine are in black and white, you know. We all have a past. We're all unique. God speaks to us in his word, but he also forms us through our life experiences. You know, the Bible says we are like clay in the potter's hands able to be fashioned by our failures, our successes, our struggles, to be who he would have us be, to accomplish what he would have us accomplish in our future. Our past serves God's purpose. 
Our past is important, regardless of what it is. You know, Abraham had a past. Not all of it was good. Moses had a past. Not all of it was good. He was responsible for the death of an Egyptian. Paul was responsible for the death of Stephen, the first martyr of the church. David was responsible for the death of a man to cover up his own sin of adultery. They all had a past, and God used their past. They forgot what lied behind, what laid behind in order to press on toward what God had called them to do in the future. Our past compels us to our future. No matter how great it is, God has more things for you to do. No matter how bad it is, forget the past. God has new things for you to do. You are all important. We press on. And that's the important part. You know, we forget what lies behind. We forget the accomplishments that we have made here and we press on. This church intends to press on. We are going to be culturally relevant. We're going to speak to the issues of the day. Not only in our messages, but also in our ministries. We conduct divorce care because divorce has affected a lot of lives. And we want you to move on. We don't want that to be a paralyzing factor in your life. You know, we conduct grief share because some people are paralyzed by grief and the death of important people in their lives. You know, we conduct... Uh, uh, financial Peace University because in West County uh, people are decimated by poor financial uh, management. You know, we're going to continue to address issues of our day. We're going to be culturally relevant. We're going to conduct music that's relevant to our culture. Even though we may have a preference for what is in the past and, and we're going to bring forward the best of our past, we're also going to press on and press forward to what speaks to our culture today. We're going to use technology we're going to urge you to be on a life journey to make sacrifice and to make commitment because it's good for you and it changes the world. We're going to be biblically sound, culturally relevant, biblically sound. We're not a social agency. We're not here just to, to do good things while we pass through life because the most important thing we can do is help people understand Jesus Christ and the difference that he is. For Paul, it was before Christ and after Christ. Christ changed everything. You know, it's confusing because we're a progressive ministry. Obviously, you don't go into many Lutheran churches and see technology like this. You don't, you don't see churches like this. But yet we're theologically conservative. You know, most progressive churches are liberal. And most liberal churches are progressive. You know, we're progressive but biblically conservative because we won't compromise God's word. God's word is the power, amen? Why would we compromise that? It never goes out of fashion. It never needs to be explained or updated, you know, to make it culturally relevant. It's always culturally relevant. We're going to be culturally relevant, biblically sound, and we're going to be outwardly focused, unapologetically outwardly focused, because we have been saved to serve. We have been blessed to be a blessing, and we are more blessed when we live that way. So we ask, are you on board? You know, are, are you like Paul saying, you know, I'm going to forget what lies behind I'm going to press on for whatever days I have to what lies ahead and to the call of Christ Jesus on my life. Today as you walk out of here, there are a party planned for you out in the parking lot. And there's food out there and there's drink. And I think uh, uh, Tim Ryman's going to be out there playing some tunes for you. And, and that's all fun. But there's also important things to be done. We're preparing health kits that our group that's going to Cambodia in January are going to take. If you want to assemble a few, please help do that. Uh, there's a launch photo booth. You can have some fun and you can say, I've been launched. Hold up some signs. Anne-Marie's got some things for you to do. You can take a picture of your family or of you uh, in the photo booth and walk away with a memento of today. You can also go to the booth that's called Smart Challenge. 
because we said, you know, this is the last capital campaign that we're going to conduct. We're not going to go out there and say, make a three-year commitment above and beyond your general tithe. We're just going to ask you to make one decision for God. We're going to ask you to be sacrificial about that. It's called SMART because we're going to give you a specific, measurable, attainable. It's going to be relevant to your ability based on your history. It's going to be able to be revised. It's not a three-year commitment that you're going to fall ahead or fall behind on. And it's going to be a trial because God said, test me now on this. So you can go to that smart challenge booth and you can say, yeah, send me my smart number. Uh, that smart number will be based on what you've been giving in the past. It'll be a challenge, maybe a little bit more than what you've done. Or it'll be a renew what you've done. Or some of us have had life change. You know, we're not working, we're not receiving income the way we have in the past. So it's going to be a reset. You know, but I, I just ask you to choose a goal for yourself. Not a three-year goal, just a goal. Because we know, those of us who have been successful in life, know that you will achieve more if you have a specific goal. You just will. And if that's not been you, get on board. You know, make a difference. Paul was specific. He was dedicated to achieving something for God, and it made a difference in his life. So stop by there and just say, yeah, send me my smart challenge. They'll just take your name, and then they'll send it to you. And then you decide. It's all on you. But we want everybody to make a decision and a goal for themselves uh, before Thanksgiving. So just do that. There's also a name tag like this, my name. And uh, please come down now if you're in the back and you're a volunteer. you got buckets of these. Pass these up and down the rows. And, and uh, we want you to take one of these name tags. They're fluorescent. And, and they have a peel and stick into them. Just peel the tab off when you go out to a chain link fence that says, I'm on board. Now, we've launched the mission. If you're on board for the mission, just write your name on it. Loop it around one of the chain links that says, I'm on board, and leave your name there as an indication that you are making this commitment. So we're just asking you to participate in this way. You know, don't just be a nameless, faceless part of the future. You know, like Paul saying, here is what I'm saying. You know, whatever I count as gain in the past, you know, I consider rubbish today because I've got a purpose and I've got a mission and it's the way in which God will bless me. So we're asking you to do that as you go out today and enjoy the fellowship, enjoy the beautiful uh, weather that God has given us. Why? Because Paul said, one thing I do, the most important thing I do, the thing that Paul wants you to do is forget what lies behind. Your successes, your failures, forget them. Strain toward what lies ahead. Press in and press on toward the goal, to win the prize for which God has called you heavenward in Christ Jesus, the prize of him saying, well done, good and faithful servant. You have rocked the world. Now enjoy what I have prepared for those who have lived a faithful life. Well, before uh, we leave you with the blessing and, and turn you loose to go out and enjoy